Welcome to The Pessel, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Opinions. Your idea is terrible, but mine is very good. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Cafe Tropical. For those days when you have no knowledge of what takes place in a kitchen, drop into the Cafe Tropical. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we are filmmakers. I know Todd does a little thing with music for most of his entire life. And <laughs> we've, we've made a lot of things. I was thinking the other day, I was trying to count, and I've made from start to finish somewhere between 200 and 300 videos. Kind of lost track after a certain point. Uh, but I've edited thousands, like, I don't know, at least 20, 30,000 videos technically speaking. But one thing as uh, you know, we get more and more into some of these more creative endeavors. I, we, we've been working on this project on and off for like the last year and a half. And it was one of those things where it looked like we had a green light and we, uh, I wrote a script for it as a proof of concept. We we're going to do this TV show pitch. And, you know, one of our old friends, uh, Byron came to us with an idea and I pulled you in. I was like, Hey, you know, produce this thing with me. And so we wrote it got it ready to go. It took us a while. We were location scouting and we were just going to finally kind of settle on something. Then we went back to him and was like, okay, here's what we need. He's like, oh yeah, we can't do that anymore. Uh, you know, I, I'm having a really hard time right now with business. And um, we we're like, okay. So we kind of sat on it for a few months and then we we're like, started getting interested again. And Byron reached out. I was like, hey, send me the stuff you got. Uh, my agent is interested uh, in, in doing the, the project now. Um, I was like, okay. And so sent it to him agent kind of fell away and then came back. I was like, okay, you know what? I think uh, Ricky came back, one of my other producers, and he was like, hey, let's do this thing. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I reached back out to Byron's like, hey, we got a green light, you know, because the last time we'd spoken to him, he was like, you know what? Just just run with it, do whatever you want. And then, uh, you know, fast forward, whatever, six months. And I'm like, hey, is are, are we good to go? Uh, he's like, no, actually my producer, uh, my, my agent is interested in pitching this thing again. And so it just kind of, you know, keeps starting and stopping. And I can only imagine us being absolutely nothing in the industry. I can only imagine what it's like for David Fincher, um, or some of these other, you know, heavy hitters, successful people, how hard it can be to get a project off the ground. I feel like we, you know, we're willing to fund this ourselves and yet interest kind of keeps coming and going. And we can't even get that. So whenever it adds perspective, whenever I'm looking at projects that get kind of stuck in development hell, as they call it, uh, I have I'm starting very slowly getting appreciation for it because it's so easy to have things kind of just get pulled away from you right as you're ready to kind of get going. Um, I know like Guillermo del Toro was originally supposed to do uh, the Hobbit series um, and then for whatever reason that didn't work out. Uh, he's had a number of projects like that. And so I don't know. I don't know what, if I'm learning anything from this process other than you need to have as many irons in the fire as you possibly can, because uh, you just don't know how one thing is going to go. Any comment? Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't was, know where to go with that. <laughs> no, not really. That's, that's about it. I think it's like that with a lot of things creative wise, right? Yeah. I mean, you make something and then you, uh, or you don't, you have an idea or, or whatever, you're just trying to get something off the ground and there's like a, a million little things that need to, you know, um, happen in order for it to come to fruition. But, you know, I, that's why 
I'm a big proponent of just do shit, right? Like if you think about it, just do it right then because the longer that it, it takes to get that thing rolling, the more likely it is that something is going to, you know, you're going to stumble or something's going to stop it or, or whatever. So, um, like, you know, this is a good example. Maybe it's a bit, not a good example because if we would have done something and then he would have come back and said, well, we can't do this because we're pitching it now, that would have been, that would have been even more rough, but you know, it's just one of those, one of those things where, yeah, this is a great idea. We would love to, to do it, to work on it, but it just, you know, it just can't happen, but you know, there's a million great ideas. And just cause that one didn't happen doesn't mean that, um, you know, the next great idea isn't, isn't right around the corner. And it's funny cause I'm, I'm working on my songwriting and it's a, it's a kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, if I, if I start a track, I have to finish it right then or like pretty close to right then. Otherwise I come back and I hate it. And I don't want to keep going, but the ones where I push through and I keep going, it always turns into something else different than it started mm -hmm. at. Right. But you got to get over that hump of hating it, of hating what you're doing or what you're making or thinking that it's so, you know, trite or whatever, you know, like it's been done and it's, yeah, it's just, you know, garbage. You got to like get past that till it becomes something that's more you because it, might start some, some other thing. And I guess that's like a little bit of a non sequitur and, you know, into a, a different conversation, but it's a similar conversation it's similar thing, because right? it's all it's about like, momentum. And I think you're absolutely right. And that's what you're, yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah. about is whenever that energy is there, you got to capitalize on it uh, because it can be hard to pick yeah. up an old project and dust it off and say, yeah, I have all the same energy and I have all the same thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, now there's pluses and minuses to that. Cause whenever you come back to something after a while, you have fresh eyes and you can kind of see through, oh, here's where the holes are. Um, here's where I can improve. Um, but if you're not doing that intentionally, it can be really hard to to kind of recapture that same energy and that same momentum. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to that because I even have I think we have that with clients a lot where someone's kind of nibbling at an idea and they're like, hey, you know, I was thinking about hiring you to do X, Y, Z. And man, I can't tell you how many of those conversations I've had over the last you know year, let alone the last several years or the, the my tenure, I'm, I'm going on nine years of being a full-time filmmaker. And there's just, I have tons of notepads uh -huh. that are just filled with client ideas and pitches that either they steal from me later on. Like that's how that happens a lot where they just kind of oh, rip, really? rip my ideas. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I try not to get too been out of shape over it. It kind of disappoints you a little bit, but I, I, I try to just tell myself, you know what? ideas are dime a dozen execution is what they were going to be hiring me for really. Mm -hmm. And I think I execute things in my own unique way. That is a value proposition that they're not going to find in house or wherever else they're going. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's been times where it really does suck where you're just like, wow, y'all literally just copy pasted everything I told you. But, uh, you know what, that's the, the wow. gamble of my approach because I don't like contracts. I try to keep everything to a handshake deal so a lot of times, you know, that that also reveals to me the kind of people I want to be working with, because if you can't operate that way um, and not everyone can, like I know whenever your company hires me, we got to do contracts because that's part of your yeah. company culture. But there's a lot of independent business owners that I, I work with that don't need to do this heavy you know, litigation aspect. And 
that's like me and my 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 other producer ricky we operate on really big budgets now or bigger than you know what i'm used to and he and i never sign any contracts and i'm okay with that if it ever came to the point where i got screwed over because of that that would be fine with me i would just say you know what okay it's time for me to find someone else to partner with um and for me that's a cheap lesson and so far i feel like it served me well i more than anything just try to be the kind of person i want to be in business with and operate in good faith and you know do my my best work and try not to make it about money so much as about uh, what money can reveal to you about people and so yeah but i think you're right like momentum comes and goes and if you don't you don't capitalize as it's when it's there then there might be a price to pay for that yeah but yeah the more you're working on the better probably and i usually have plenty of stuff going on such as this podcast if nothing i feel like this is the one thing that you know if when all else is kind of going haywire i'm like (laughs) you know what we get this is one thing generally speaking we have total control over although we yeah, we recently yeah. ran into a buzzsaw with even that. Um, That's true. I guess That's true. 132 out of 133 ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> true. Speaking true. of, what are we doing today? Well, today, uh, we are covering Wonder Woman 1984. So if you haven't seen it, pause this episode and go watch it. It's streaming, I believe, on HBO Max. Um, it's in the theaters as well, but um, you can watch it there at least through the end of January. At, at the very least, and then uh, come back because uh, there's going to be spoilers everywhere. For sure. We'll talk about a lot of things uh, just up front. It's not going to be a good episode for Wonder Woman, <laughs> but no. but we'll, we'll try to be as fair and even handed as we can possibly be. Uh, we'll talk about some of the, the themes and conversational subtext that's in Wonder Woman. There's a lot of stuff that I actually like in there. We'll discuss Chekhov's gun. Um, we, we usually talk about it just purely from the loaded gun aspect, but there's other elements to Chekhov's gun that I think is worth discussing here, such as wasted story elements. Um, we'll also touch on using a temp track for editing purposes <laughs> and how Sunshine, the movie, was ripped off once again. And other such stuff and things and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, So let's rewind to the 1980s as Wonder Woman's next big screen adventure finds her facing two all new foes, Max Lord and the Cheetah. Directed by Patty Jenkins, screenplay by Patty Jenkins, Jeff Johns and David Callahan. Cinematography by Matthew Jensen, starring Gal Gadot as uh, Diana Prince, Chris Pine as Steve Trevor, uh, Kristen Wiig as Barbara Minerva and Pedro Pascal as Maxwell Lord. But he's gone. That's the truth. And everything has a price. One I'm not willing to pay. Not anymore. This world was a beautiful place. Just as it was. And you cannot have it all. You can only have the truth. The truth is enough. The truth is beautiful. So look at this world. Look at what your wish is costing it. You must be the hero. Only you can save the day. Renounce your wish. 
If you want to save this world. Why would I? When it's finally my turn! The world belongs to me! You can't stop me! No one can! I wasn't talking to you. talking to everyone else okay um i i mean i'll just roll the ball a little bit here just go yeah just start. because here's the thing that that's the, the the pivotal moment that's everything this movie is trying to to discuss yep. and it's so muddy it's so like it's it's not very pointed in the way that you want out of this moment of clarity like she's having this moment of clarity and it's just kind of all over the place about how truth is beautiful and the world is beautiful and it's they're they're trying to get at this you know deeper level of discussion of you know we people who are trying to have it all are effectively destroying the planet um and destroying ourselves along the way um, and all kinds of things and this is kind of the problem it's they don't really zone in quite tightly enough because even as they're kind of flashing back through all the examples right you have one guy who just flippantly wished his wife or whoever that was the co-worker you know for her to die drop dead right and she dies um and now he's kind of weeping in the corner as someone tries to resuscitate her and then you have missiles being launched all over the world nuke, nukes and presidents and of and prime ministers just kind of you know sitting there limply incapable of you know changing anything and it's but it's just so scattershot it's so all over the place and this comes down to the writing uh we've seen this in some films before where you just you just don't really tie it all together very cleanly and that's not even the beginning of you know the all the problems in this movie but i think it kind of summarizes the film in a way that it's just so muddy and unfocused that it makes it a very unpleasing experience overall. And to spend two and a half hours exploring 50 subjects instead of kind of dialing in on what exactly do you all want us to walk away with? And it's just not very clean. What I think if they had stuck with just that, like you can't have it all. There was, there was a good conversation in there. I don't think that would have been my favorite use of theme and subtext. I would have preferred them to just have this other discussion more tightly about how Wonder Woman can't have love and a career. That's a much better topical conversation for women. Um, and I'm not even getting into my notes yet. <laughs> like, um, but that's a great conversation to have. That's that's a great use of Wonder Woman. And they 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 went into it a little bit, but they didn't really flesh it out in a way that I thought they could have. And so, yeah, this was just such a scattershot film and that being kind of the pinnacle uh, moment of the film of two and a half hours of payoff uh, happening right there. Uh, it just land, it doesn't land very cleanly. It, it's just muddy. I don't think there's a, a better word that I'm going to come up with. Yeah, it's just unfocused. It's muddy. Um, and the entire film is just kind of running around racing for, for not much uh, effect. Um, and that's me starting it as you know, gracefully as I can. What did you, how did you like spending two and a half hours in this uh, film? If the whole thing was garbage, there was nothing. I'm just going to, I'm not even going to go on a tirade here. I'm just going to say there was nothing salvageable, including the music from this, from this movie. Nothing. I mean, like there were moments where the music was beautiful, but 
uh, as we're going to find out here in a second that I'm sure you're, I'm going to let you talk about. There's a reason why. But other than that, the, the acting was terrible. The writing was awful. The cinematography was garbage. I, I, the message was not good. You just said it was it was like, you know, muddy. I mean, that's a kind way to put it. It was non-existent. I mean, it would like like I like Gal Gadot. She was not good in this film at all from the very first lines the very first lines that she you know the flashback of her as a little girl and the with the voiceover her voiceover wasn't good her voiceover was like not believable like nothing about i think probably the most salvageable part of this film would be chris pine i just like him right and having nothing to do with how beautiful he is i just like the guy i think he's a good actor um and he was exactly the same in this movie as it was the last movie he's like steady right mm. gal was better in the first one she was not good in this film you know what i felt like i felt like i was watching a, a netflix movie that's what i felt like and and for those of you who don't watch enough netflix netflix is great for if you want to just binge and stream content and just 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 like if you want to just consume right that is it's like sitting down with a bunch like being really hungry and sitting down with a bunch of lays potato chips you're just gonna eat all of them right right and you're not gonna feel good after you're just gonna feel like bloated and like you just did something really bad to your body right that's exactly what netflix is right but but what you're supposed to feel like when you watch a big budget film like this you're supposed to feel like you just had a like a delicious meal that is rounded out and you didn't eat too much and you don't have to roll yourself out of the restaurant and you just you you feel ah, that was great so what we got here was a a bowl of ice cream with a bunch of oh no gummy <laughs> worms chips and, in it yeah, yeah gummy so worms you know what i'm saying it, it was just yeah it felt it felt fake. It felt underproduced. Like they were they were trying to make a film um, during a pandemic, and this is the best they could do. Like that's 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 it. But there's ways to do it better, um, and other films have done it better during this pandemic. So, and and it just goes to show that DC has no fucking clue how to make a movie at all like i'm sitting here i'm thinking you have superman you have batman and and you know i'm i'm not counting the we had this discussion i'm not counting the christopher nolan batmans even though those are not my favorite christopher nolan films right but batman begins i'm not counting that i'm counting anything other than that right justice League. i mean i'm just gonna list them because i don't give a shit if who cares like i don't i don't you know if you if you like justice league you shouldn't be listening to this podcast <laughs> in the first place right like they just don't know how to make a movie and it's a shame because they have really strong superheroes and it doesn't even they don't even have to be a strong quote-unquote superhero you can make them strong because you own the rights to make the films so make a good movie you don't know how to make a movie, DC. You don't know how to do it. And if you do, then you, for some reason, you are just undercutting yourself. I, and I don't know why. You have the money. You have the audience. You have the people, the fans who want this to be good. 
I'm seeing the trailer for the new Batman and I'm excited, but I'm worried because you don't know how to make a movie. Or if you do, maybe you're sack, you're like shitting the bed because it's Wonder Woman. And I don't know why you've had two chances and both chances you shat the bed both times. And I think that a lot of people think that one, the first Wonder Woman is actually good, right? Like they'll, they'll see it and they think, oh, it's like, it's like, it's a, um, you know, a, a good, strong, you know, woman movie. It's not, it's, it's, it's demeaning to women. This one isn't as demeaning, I guess, but it's like, it's, <laughs> it's like they tried to, they also tried to take all of the stuff that's happened since the since Wonder Woman came out, uh, either not politically, but like with the Me Too and everything, and just tried to like we're gonna make women completely strong and 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 everything, and it just doesn't work. They don't. It it doesn't speak to you because it's in 1984, also, and like why 1984? Is there a reason for that? Do you know no. in like the storyline? Is there like a no? I mean, the, why it had to be that? Uh, I think they were just looking for an opportunity to build backstory into her. So like, you can take advantage of the last film we saw was in you know World War Two. Now, right? Yeah, we already have her established in present day, and so I think they're just looking for an era that's fun to play in. Um, that you know, stay in World War Two, man. <laughs> like or go to another go to vietnam i don't know mm. but like stay old like you it doesn't need to go farther back mm. go farther back somehow i don't know but it just felt completely i'm sorry i said i wasn't gonna go on a soapbox but it completely fell flat in every way the writing was terrible the directing wasn't good cinematography wasn't good music wasn't good there's nothing endearing about this movie and it's two and a half hours long that's the thing that makes me that the most angry I think like if you want to make a crappy movie, make it an hour and a half so that I can get in, watch it and get out. Cause you know, that's the thing like walking or not walking out, but you know, whenever it finished playing, I was like, okay, two and a half hours. That's hard to justify. If this had been like even under two hours, um, then I can start to make the case that, okay, you know what? Maybe this is aimed at kids and maybe this could be something that, you know what? Little girls are looking at and they're like, oh, yeah, there's a badass woman who's going around saving the day and, you know, right. putting guys in their place whenever they're catcalling on the street. I could live with yeah. that. That would be like, yeah. OK, I can get behind that. I still think it's a crappy movie and I would want, you know, little girls to watch better, you know, more thought out cinema. But at least it's something that has a target and they're trying to give, you know, little girls something to aspire to. But at two and a half hours, you're not making this for kids, man. No, this is for adults at that runtime. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very hollow. Yeah. And it's uh, a lot of problems. And, and having, having Chris Bynes character, like be, I mean, stealing magic. <laughs> the idea of him being in another body from quantum leap. Right. It's like, like I, it was I get leap. it. 1984. Yeah. That's when, you know, maybe is before quantum leap. I don't know, but like come on man <laughs> be original that premise you have was, the world uh, at your oyster you have three people writing this movie and this is the best they could come up with and maybe i missed something at the end but i wasn't quite clear and maybe they mentioned this in one of the other dozen justice league movies or something but they effectively had the entire planet freaked out and is is that not something that people would know about like how does wonder woman come up by surprise 
after such a massive event. I, it's such a big rewrite of history. I don't know. It just, it, it's a little odd. And then the other thing that struck me as rather clumsy was that whole introduction in the, the shopping mall scene where she's stopping the robbers and she's kind of destroying the cameras and uh, which I laughingly, I, this is me being a nerd and just being, you know, uh, wry, but she's destroying the cameras. I'm like, Oh, law enforcement doesn't want to be recorded, huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> but that's all in jest. Like I, yeah. I know you're protecting your secret identity. That's fine. But to do it in front of all these people, all these witnesses in your gear with your amazing lasso and then to kind of wink and, you know, give the, the shh, don't tell a soul kind of gesture to the little girl. I'm like, there's like, 300 other people are standing around looking at you. She doesn't got to say anything. Um, <laughs> She's a least. Yeah, I don't know. It was just all a little clunky to me. It, yeah. It was striving for something that it just wasn't going to hit. Uh, I'll roll through some of these notes here and maybe this will be a short one. I don't know. Or maybe we'll open it up to bigger tangents, but thematically there were, I really did like that whole idea of love or career uh, because a lot of superheroes deal with this, right? The whole idea of love or duty, like we've seen this in Spider-Man and I feel like Batman's constantly waging that war, uh, no matter the iteration. Every superhero kind of has this element of, do I do I keep my identity or do I sacrifice it for love? And usually it comes at the idea of there's a greater good, I'm gonna set aside my, my feelings. But I feel like with Wonder Woman, there's a whole new context um, because with her being a woman, this is a more personal theme for women, right? Career versus love or family. Like this is something that, you know, the modern woman has been struggling with for, you know, the better part of a century now, uh, since I don't know what decade you would want to put the, the liberation of women in, um, you know, whether that's the fifties or sixties, uh, or the seventies or still ongoing today, like you can certainly make that argument. And, and so I feel like it's just a very universal, you know, uh, thing that women have to deal with that they could have really hit a lot harder in this film, but it was so lightly touched on that I I, I thought that you know there was there's a lot more room to go with her having to choose her career and you know uh, of being a, a superpower uh, woman versus staying with Steve Trevor and keeping him even if the whole way that they introduced him was you know absolutely uh you know silly but the extra irony that i really like you know in this scenario is that wonder woman has more time whereas normally men are the ones who have more time you know biologically speaking we have more time to, to start a family we can do the career thing you know some dudes wait until their 50s you know or even 60s before they start thinking of families and it's insane but it's uh kind of a, a thing that men can get away with whereas in this universe Wonder Woman hasn't aged a day and uh, Steve Trevor has, right? He's getting older, <laughs> even though he's been dead this whole time. He got older. <laughs> you know, I really like that 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 trade-off, that dynamic that they're playing with there is really fun. Um, it's a good idea. And I, I thought there was a lot more room that they had to play with um, that they just didn't take advantage of. And even Maxwell Lord is, is you know, having the same similar conversation of he's choosing uh, between family and career as well. Um, he's choosing to be this tycoon uh, in the oil field, oil industry, instead of, you know, being there for his son, which I thought the the casting of the son was an odd choice. Like, uh, I think he's like half 
Mexican and and half Asian. Um, and it just adds a, a layer of like, what's going on here? Um, that's one of those things where it, it, it helps the suspension of disbelief to do a little bit more ethnically unobscure version of casting that can aid your story a little bit instead of having the audience pulled out a second, like, Oh yeah, I guess, yeah, you know, I guess he could be, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I don't want to be thinking about that. And if I'm directing, I don't want my audience to be having those conversations either. I think the, the impetus was probably we want more, more diversity in the film, which is cool. I have no, obviously I have no problem with that, but sometimes it pays a little bit more just to, to clean that up with, uh, your, your casting decisions. I think he did a, you know, a fine job. I'm not going to hammer a kid for his acting performance. Um, he was probably all of, you know, six years old and that's a lot to, for a kid that age I, to take on. I liked him. Yeah. I mean, he's adorable. Yeah, there, he yeah, yeah, yeah. literally, yeah. that was the only emotional connection I had in this entire film was between I agree. Alistair and Maxwell. That was the yes. only, and so I'm not saying he did, he didn't do his job. He did. Um, but the entire film, that was the only time right there. Every time the kid pops up, I was like, dude, that's your kid, man. What are you doing? Um, and so I know. Yeah. That, but so there was that conversation still kind of going between, you know, love and career family versus career. And there was, I thought that could have been your, your thing. If they wanted to dial in on one thing, I would have picked that, um, and just hammered that. Uh, a lot harder probably would have been able to shave 45 minutes off the runtime and have that conversation a lot more dialed in a lot more focused the another kind of conversation if you will that that they were having was you know don't take don't take shortcuts but it was kind of muddied up with careful what you wish for it's it just wasn't very clean because it starts the whole film starts with this opening sequence which is probably as far as sequences go my favorite sequence of the film not necessarily my favorite shot, but I kind of liked, I, I didn't think it was a lot of purpose to it. Uh, it didn't add up too much, but I, but I liked the, the opening sequence of just hanging out in the Amazon games or the Amazonian games. I thought, Oh, this is interesting. It feels a little derivative, still a little cliche. And, um, I thought, you know, it probably could have been done slightly differently, but all the imagery was really cool. I liked all the you felt like this is an Amazon culture and um, they have some really cool technology that they've built in uh, into their culture. They're way ahead of us, um, which is kind of fun to think about. Like if women got to just run the shit, like we would have some really cool stuff and uh, we would be building each other up and it would be a different environment, a different culture. I thought there were some really cool ideas that were coming across in that whole sequence. Uh, which is why I liked hanging out there. I liked seeing women being badass and they were like jumping and doing flips and all kinds of crazy cool stuff. Yeah, I, but it didn't really add up to much. It was just kind of weird because that whole, just to go into that opening sequence, it tells us, okay, she was a part of some ancient tribe of badasses of which even as a little girl, she dominated everyone. And we kind of get to see her ingenuity after losing her horse, uh, she kept herself in the game, right? Uh, she found a way to get back to her horse. And, and at the end, it's kind of labeled as it's, it's such a disconnected feeling as an audience member, because I'm watching her and I'm thinking she's a badass. She's finding a way to stay in the game. And at the end, it's being, you know, reallocated as uh, she took a shortcut. She cheated. Um, and that just wasn't the feeling that we had while we were watching her. We had a feeling of, you know, being uplifted and encouraged and we're rooting for her to win. 
and we we see that she didn't hit the uh, the marker but it's never it's not super clear whether or not they need to hit the markers to me i'm watching them hit the markers and i'm like oh this is kind of a, a tracking device to see who's in the lead and then when she gets to the end it's going to be like oh snap no she's actually in the lead uh and so it was just kind of this muddy uh gamesmanship that was going on and we don't really understand the stakes until the very end uh which is not where you really want to build in your stakes you want to know ahead of time that she's upsetting the course of events instead of feeling like we're cheering her on we feel cheated is what really happens at the end of that sequence the audience feels cheated uh, which is the complete opposite of the message that they're that they're sending there and so but somehow it transitions from you cheated to you this is i'm trying to label or recall exactly you know what she was told there in that final moment it was like you know, doing the right thing is all about the truth and the truth is in our knowing the truth in our heart uh, is what really counts. And no hero is born out of lies. And that's when hysteria gets invoked, you know, and hysteria was all about true acts and honor and bravery. And you're just kind of getting hit with like 50 things all at once that you don't really know what you're supposed to be attaching to, uh, which does not help this whole journey. You get to the end of the journey and you're like, uh, yeah, it's all about truth. And yeah. And the planet uh, and doing the right what's it about like you kind of just lose the thread and it hurts the cause man and so yeah it's it's all it's about i guess don't take shortcuts but also be careful what you wish for i don't know it's weird the the businessman the oil tycoon is trading everyone's desires in exchange for their possessions and so this is how he's manipulating everyone uh, to get what he wants which is, I guess, destroying the world. And I think this is kind of this environmentalist uh, light message. It's not hammered e- here either, which would have been fine if it had been oil is destroying our world for temporary pleasures. I think that's kind of an argument that they're making, but it's it's a little too subtle. If that's the the, the message you want to send, okay, but it's it's muddied with all these other conversations it's in there i'm not saying it's not in there i'm just saying yeah. it's it's too muddy to, for that to be a real concise conclusion that we arrive at because there's also this element of sacrifice for the greater good right asteria sacrificed herself so that others could live so that her culture could escape and that's kind of the message that uh, Diana Prince at, at the clip that we played, she's kind of sending to everyone at home, like, you know, renounce all your wishes and give back so that we can save each other and save ourselves. That's for the greater good. So the, all the themes are kind of there. There's these kind of fem- feminist issues. I don't know that I would call some of these things, I guess, feminist, like the cat calling. I don't think of that as a feminist issue. I think of that as just, you know, a humanity issue of like, stop being weirdos and, and assholes in the street. I completely realize that's a very real thing, even if they really beat you over the head on on uh, on this whole thing throughout the film. I mean, that's fine. It just feels a little hand fisted at a certain point. And I wouldn't it. I don't know. It's it, it's a little wonky. It's a little clunky. Um, I have no problem with them making that that an issue and, you know, kind of uh, blowing that horn. But but really, because every like that's the thing. Like that's the thing that that is always called out. It's catcalling. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, we, I get it. It sucks. Those guys are jerks, and and yeah. But there are so many other things that are done to women on a daily basis that you can use as a reference 
Does it have to be that generic thing that every single other movie is always used? Sure. No, no. Be creative. Like do something else. I mean, I mean, no, that's good. I mean, yeah. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think you're right. I think it's one thing to throw it in once as a, as a thing. And, but then to kind of make it this recurring theme could have been supplanted with something else that maybe only a woman could, could insert into this film because uh, I don't live that life. I can't speak to that experience. And so as guys, I think we're all aware that catcalling is shitty. Even the ones who do it probably are well aware or maybe not. I don't know. Uh, maybe yeah maybe not maybe not <laughs> or maybe they wouldn't do it i don't know i think people still even though they know it's wrong but i don't know but the experience you know with the with the pen writing this film probably could have introduced some other elements uh that maybe as guys were not aware of and haven't heard you know uh, a number of times or maybe it's good to keep hammering it. i don't know i don't have a very strong opinion i know it felt clunky and i i was just like Okay, I, I get it. But going into Chekhov's gun theory. So Chekhov's gun theory, this is a, I want to say it was a playwright, but the idea was basically everything that you insert into a story should add up to something. There should be, and he kind of embodied it with what we on the show usually refer to as the loaded gun theory, which is if you see a gun on stage, we have to see the gun go off. If you see a gun or you see it get loaded? Well, the his theory is if you see a gun but just period yeah okay. but i feel like if it's it's a little flexible because if you see a close-up of a gun in film it, yeah. it switches a little bit uh because i like i said I, I think he was a playwright i haven't read any anton Chekhov. sorry everybody as much as i do read but on film it translates a little different because you might see a cop and a gun might be in the shot but if you see a close-up of that gun you probably want to see it go off or if you see a gun get loaded that's usually the way i think of it is if we see a gun get cocked back, we're going to want to see that thing get. Uh, and there's a number of ways that we like to think of loading the gun. And that's usually a, a threat or uh, some element introduced that is uh, foreshadowed. Uh, you usually want to see those things come to pass. But there's a bigger context that Chekhov was talking about. He was really talking about if you introduce any story element, it needs to have uh, uh, a purpose to it that serves the entire film. And in this case, I'm looking at like the opening sequence didn't really serve a very strong purpose. It was kind of there. Just like the mall sequence, we have these robbers who are introduced and they play no real part. There's no real reason uh, for them to be there other than to introduce the stone. But there's no real reason for the stone to surface in the first place because we find out like halfway through the movie that this is something that Maxwell has been looking for for a long time. It's just all very sloppy in terms of craft. The craftsmanship in this movie is not very high. Like the FBI just drops off stolen goods to the Smithsonian. Is that, I don't know, maybe that's normal from my limited exposure to the law enforcement habits, uh, the chain of custody. Or the Smithsonian. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, usually the, the evidence tends to stay locked up and, you know, I feel like they have their own uh, situation over there so that random people can't give it away to to other random people like that that seems odd but i feel like there was another way to introduce the stone totally and, and tie all these things together i don't know i mean this whole thing is uh, exhausting just i mean indiana jones let's just go watch in any indiana <laughs> jones movie where he had to find something important right. and it will show you a master class of how to introduce 
the thing that is the pivotal thing in the movie, which is this stone, which just happens to be like, it's just ridiculous how they introduce the stone. It's constant. Yeah, you got to even if they just didn't even want to have some grander purpose, then I would say make it something that Barbara is looking for. Or if it isn't, maybe it's something that Maxwell is looking for. Maybe that's how we are introduced to Maxwell is him on some kind of crazy adventure or hiring henchmen. Like I, I was just really surprised that the robbers weren't hired by him. Yeah. So can I, can I just specify real quick? I'm sorry to interrupt, but sorry to interrupt, but like (laughs) in life, random things happen, right? And just, you know, the way that you or I, we live our life. I might run into somebody who knows somebody um, who slept with this guy's wife, who knew her, who also knew your best friend back in high school, right? They're not related. They have nothing to do with each other. It just is a thing that happened, right? That's boring in a movie. Yeah, It's boring in a movie to have a random rock, right? That you don't know about that happens to try, you know, be stolen by these random guys, which happens to be confiscated by the FBI, which happens to randomly sit, go to the Smithsonian, which randomly Wonder Woman works at. And then randomly this other woman who, who, you know, has been held down her whole life now has this power and randomly Maxwell happens to find it at the Smithsonian. Like, and she happens to like really like him. Like none of that. It, that's all very boring. If it's random in a movie, there needs to, it needs to be tied together in some way, like you were saying. So yes, could that happen in real life? Sure. Sure. That's what makes for a terrible movie. Yeah. You know, I want to see the connections. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of like whenever you look at, I, I forget what they're called, but the, the police detectives, right. They have, one of those those boards, uh, crime board, that's kind of where they're trying to connect everything. And they have all these events. Yeah, Those are dots, right? We want to connect yeah. all those dots at the end of the movie or by the end of the movie. Like these all are seemingly disconnected events that actually all tie together in a very specific way. This is what makes some of these great movies that catch you by surprise at the end really sing. It's because you didn't expect, it didn't look like they were going to connect when they finally did. Um, and that made for a much satisfying thing. It made for a reason why you sat through 10 minutes of the Amazonian games. It made a reason why you sat through another 10 minutes of these robbers getting their ass handed to them in the middle of a mall. And those moments don't really happen. It just, it just kind of lead is a, is a long string of, and then, and then, and then, and then <laughs> like, it just never stops. Yeah. And that's not fun. Um, it's not as fun as you would probably want it to be anyway. Yeah. So the thing that really teed me off about this movie, though, uh, is a very specific section of, yeah. of music. So I will I'm going to do my best because this really upset me in the movie. And I don't expect it to upset anyone else because this is just one of my buttons. And I totally acknowledge that this is a West button. This is not a moviegoer button. Um, so grant me some 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 latitude here, people. <laughs> One of my favorite movies, and I think it's probably still like my second or third favorite movie, is a movie by Danny Boyle, written by Alex Alex Garland, who is my favorite screenwriter, called Sunshine. 
it's a sci-fi horror, whatever you want to label it. And the music is absolutely epic in there. It's by a band called Underworld. And there's a track towards the end. It's the climax of the film. It's called, uh, I think, Adagio in D minor. And it's been abused ever since that movie. People keep using it in their trailers. And which, you know what? I'm sure Underworld is very happy for <laughs> as long as they're getting paid for it. Um, <laughs> it, it got used in Kick-Ass. Um, and what bothers me about people reusing the soundtrack is it's not really a soundtrack. It's a score. It would be like if I took the score to Interstellar and suddenly slapped it on another movie, you would think eh, that's that's not that that's not where, where that music belongs. That that music was built for a, a very specific movie and it it's not Wonder Woman. <laughs> it's literally that. Imagine if the score for Interstellar was inserted into Wonder Woman, you'd be like, I mean, it's great music. Of course, it's great music. But why is it in this movie? Yeah. And I think what happened and it's. It happens. They so they borrow this this score from uh, Sunshine, and the sequence that's building up to be like the best moment of the movie, uh, where she's saying goodbye to Steve Trevor. She's making her decision to let love go in order for her to you know take the mantle of being Wonder Woman and you know encapsulating all her powers in herself. Um, she's letting that go forever. And then whenever she gets into the sky, they, they kick in this epic beat that is from sunshine. Uh, and I, and what happens is, and there's a great video essay on this that discusses the, uh, the Marvel symphonic universe. I think it is, uh, I'll link it. It's, it's every frame of painting. They do a great job of kind of tearing apart some of these scores and showing you how they're kind of being recycled. Uh, but it waters it down. Uh, what what happens is you get into post and you're editing a film and you're trying to figure out the rhythm of the scene because you know at some point there's going to be music in the scene. And so in order to help cut the scene, you insert a, a, a temp track is what they call it, a temporary music track in order to give you some rhythm so that the edits make sense and you can find out where the crescendo is in the, in the scene. And then whenever your composer is done or, you know, then you can insert their track. The problem is, as is very well articulated in every frame of painting, uh, which I haven't seen in a while. So I might be adding or quoting verbatim. I'm not sure. Uh, but the idea is when you do that, you're kind of hamstringing your composer because now you're, you're setting up the edits very specifically on very specific beats and with very specific rises and falls, which is effectively what the music is doing. And so now you're telling your composer, Hey man, you can make anything you want as long as it sounds a lot like this. <laughs> and how can you create something beautiful and brand new? If you're doing that, you, you, you really can't. You're, you're because what, even if you try What's probably going to happen is your director is going to come back and say, man, it's just not as good as that first track. I really want Can you do a little bit more of this? Can you do a little bit more like that first track? And you're just going to keep watering it down until it just sounds like the first track. And the thing is, I don't know. I would have to check the credits to see if they even properly attribute uh, the score to Underworld because they wrote that. They're ripping it beat for beat. And I'll insert the original track just so that you can you can hear the original track for yourself from sunshine. Um, and, and this film, you can hear it 
uh, in Wonder Woman 1984 from right about the one hour, 59 minute mark until a little past the two hour mark. Um, it's like, I don't know, 90 seconds, two minutes, somewhere in that neighborhood. And it's it's there, but they could have built something else completely unique for Wonder Woman, uh, because that's a very important moment, considering I don't think she ever has flying powers in, in the comic books. I asked my roommate, uh, he's a massive comic nerd, and he was like, oh, I don't think that's in the comics, man. <laughs> like, All right, I, I take your word for it. And so she just finally gets a brand new power, I guess, of, of flight, uh, <laughs> which is not normal. Well, she's humans. technically not flying. She's throwing herself through the air, ah, right? Because okay. she like... It's a little bit of... Uses Hulk. the momentum from her, from her lasso. I see. To pull her through the air. Okay. Which is, I don't know if that's any better. Yeah, I'm just saying. That's the theory. I don't think she, in, and then, and then she, you know, I don't know, acts like she's like, I don't yeah. know, I guess. Interesting. Okay. Mm. I'll, you know, poof, I'll allow it. Um, <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> but it's just so frustrating to have like one of my favorite movies constantly ripped off. But, the, but I think the bigger danger is, Instead of working that way, and we've talked about this before, and Joe uh, linked me to an episode on Talking Sopranos. I think there's a Soprano podcast, and I have the link open. I still It's a two-hour episode, so I just haven't had time to sit down and listen to it. But where he agrees with kind of my premise of I personally try to edit based on the scene itself. I try not to introduce music until I'm done editing the scene. And then once I have the music... I can see normally there's just a lot of happy accidents that that happen. But if they don't, then that's an opportunity to either work with the composer or to start reworking my scene so that it lands on these beats. And that happens a lot, like where I just got to clean up a frame here and a frame there in order to make it land a little neater all the time. I do that all the time. Like I just had to cut a, a 60 second trailer for a, a project and the edit didn't just throw itself onto the music. But I was able to, you know, clean it up so that the beats land where I wanted to land. And I'm not huge on having every single edit land on a beat. I, that gets into the little bit of what I call or maybe the industry calls uh, Mickey Mousing, right? Where you have the bouncing mm -hmm. ball on the Mickey Mouse club show, whatever. And you don't I don't really like that to a certain extent, like certain moments. Yeah. Reinforce the music with an edit. But you do that too much and you start feeling predictable, uh, which you can play to your benefit if you want to, you know, work that against the audience. You can do that intentionally. But generally speaking, I probably want the audience paying a little bit more in tune with the story and too much in sync with the beat uh, starts to lull people into the into the music instead of into your story. And so mm -hmm. picking your moments there. But it all starts, I think, with the edit. Tell your story to its absolute best. And then once you insert music, it's all enhancement from there. The, mu the, the scene should already be singing. And they had such a magical entryway to that scene in Wonder Woman. When she's saying goodbye, they do this beautiful wonder where it starts with her and him kissing goodbye. And they swing around to a frontal shot and to track with her as she's walking away. It's absolutely beautiful with all the chaos in the street. It's one of the most beautiful shots in the movie. And it's, it's perfect up until like you just decide to rip off, you know, someone else's track. And to some degree, you even kind of tinker with 
ripping the moment because in that moment in the in that in the movie sunshine there's a voiceover that kicks in there much in the same style and and spectrum uh of what they're doing in the movie wonder woman uh they kick in voiceover there too and it's it's such a callback to a movie that isn't involved in in, in this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, it it pulled me way out of the only one of the few moments that I was getting sucked into. Yeah, I agree. Oh, killed me. And so, yeah, don't edit to temp tracks if you can. Um, and if you're a director who's asking your editor to do that, stop it. Uh, if you're an editor, um, you know, suggest otherwise, maybe to to your director. Obviously, you don't get to run the show on that front. So do what you can. But um, maybe just suggest, hey, do you mind if I take a cut without any music so that we can save room for creativity on the back end? Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to run through a few of the things that I liked uh, just in an effort to try to save because we are really killing this movie. I don't, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. I, that we're killing it. I, I agree. And you, ha- you have another point to make on that, which I'll prompt uh, here in a second. But some cool moments that I really liked. There's a scene whenever they're in Egypt when she breaks the axle to use the truck as a vault. I'm like, that's a really cool little moment because I've thought about that kind of stuff before too. Like, what if the axle broke and it got stuck and lodged in the ground? And of course, it wouldn't happen that way. And I'm fine with that. But I'm like, you know what? With her strength, she could like really push it into the ground really hard and like pole vault into the air. Yeah, that worked for me, man. I was like, that's a badass little moment. That was cool. I liked the little section where she's grabbing the the guard's gun and ejects the bullet and then like slaps it with her gauntlet. I was like, that, uh-huh. that's freaking badass. Yeah. I, yeah, we already talked about her breaking up with Steve. That's a great little moment. Crap. I, I was writing another note and apparently I abandoned it mid note. <laughs> so I, I have no idea. <laughs> You're like, fuck it, I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. Because <laughs> all I put was ejecting and uh, I don't know what other ejecting moment uh, there was. But uh, some of the rougher moments, um, just to be a little ying to that yang, lassoing the rocket to save the kids was a little rough especially because the kids looked like they took a beating on that ground, man. <laughs> like when she was <laughs> yeah. scooping them up. Uh, yeah. I might've kept it to just one kid because two looked like a bit of a stretch, uh, starting to break the suspension of disbelief, which is already very taut. <laughs> and I can play a yeah, movie like this. Like, wow. <laughs> um, there was any of that. Okay. Yeah. They figure out that Maxwell is the wishing stone by pure guesswork. Like it's, Oh, but he said that he I'm looking at it like that. That was a little getting back into muddy. That was a rough scene of deduction going on in there. Yeah. And there was this was a, the one of the most frustrating for me personally, because I really in, was enjoying kind of them together. Uh, Steve and Diana together. Uh, I really like them together. And so I really want to be heartbroken when they're they're pulled apart. And there's this scene where they suddenly have this conversation about the relationship and it just felt shoehorned out of nowhere. Uh, It's them having a conversation whenever they get to her apartment and he's like, we have to talk about this. And it's like, wait, we have to talk about what? And she's like, no, I don't want to talk about this. And so they're kind of implying that there's an elephant in the, in the room, but it just isn't very well established. And it just feels like, we need to have a scene where they discuss their relationship and how she needs to to abandon it and let him go. And it 
just didn't work. It just wasn't well structured or, or at least, uh, teed up. Yeah. The better, the better way to do that is insert little moments where she refuses hit the conversation throughout the film, like three or four different times. It takes no time at all, literally five seconds and it's addressed and then pushed back, addressed and pushed back until finally you cannot address it anymore. Instead of one long, you know, out of nowhere, just random, you know, moment that that's it, it doesn't hammer anything home. Anyway, good point. The the maybe the roughest part other than this, the entire setup of this movie being about the, the, the cat's paw um, or the monkey's paw, I should say, not the the Minerva cat is how it's resolved. I mean, the setup was bad. The resolution was even worse because take backsies or what saved the day. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I renounce my wish, which is achieved in that very uncompelling monologue is just very ham fisted because then we get this very last minute, shoehorned backstory to Maxwell where we see him stressed out over his parents and his dad and he's wetting the bed. And, um, it's just a little too silly given the severity of his story. Um, it just didn't work. I would have, I think wanted a little bit more set up to that because Maxwell is a really interesting character. I don't actually hate him. Um, and I don't think we're supposed to, I don't think they want us to actually hate him. Uh, which is really interesting to have two bad guys that we never actually fully hate. We feel bad for them and we don't want them to succeed. And I, I think that's what they were trying. They were trying to create some uh, complex emotions around their, their, their bad guys. And I see that it just doesn't quite land in the way that they, I, I think there could have been a better setup for both of those characters. Really uh, Barbara just kind of being this clumsy office person that, uh, it's forgettable, right? The HR woman who hired her doesn't even remember. It's just kind of comically silly. Uh, instead of like you feeling bad for her, it just feels uh, a little bit of that. She's all that, I don't know, geek to chic transformation thing uh, that we've seen in, I guess, 80s movies, probably. Can't buy me love, right? Patrick Dempsey. And I don't know. It It's just a little too silly. I don't know if this is supposed to be a drama or a silly film or this uh, really strong action film there's not a lot of movies that can pull all that off at once like a guardians of the galaxy like it's it takes very well crafted stories and writing and character development to 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 really do that well and uh apologies uh to the the creators of this uh just did not quite land that plane but you have no apologies and i completely agree with your assessment because when we were talking you're like you know what they had whatever three trillion dollars to make this movie they had established property they had everything in the world to make this a good movie and they still didn't and so for that you harbor no apology (laughs) yeah zero fucks given here Uh, i mean there are hundreds of thousands of people who go out every day and have nothing and they try to make something from nothing. And you, DC, have millions of dollars, great writers at your disposal, great actors and actresses, a great team. You have the rights to make this. 
and you feed us this garbage that has almost no in, endearing quality that is supposed to stand the test of time. It's literally vomit on a screen, right? And at the same time, you're going out and making this this new Batman, which is like, whatever. All we've seen is trailers, but it looks like there's effort has been put into that. It looks like the, like, like you saw Joker and you thought we want to capitalize on that and we want to make something like that. Why can't you do something like that for this? Is it because the first one was campy as fuck and you want it to be in the same goddamn world? Why? Why? Why not just start over? Why not say we we screwed the pooch in the first one, so we're going to scratch everything and reestablish this world as real as we can. I mean, obviously, you know, it's 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 not ever going to be Joker. It's not ever going to be Batman because those are based in real world where nobody has superpowers, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's the, the real people. So this, this is totally different. And I was never expecting that. I knew it wouldn't be that. I didn't want it to be that because then that would be fake. But for everything else around her to also feel as fake as she, as her, is just a slap in the face of anybody who loves Wonder Woman, who loves comics in general, who loves movies in general. Let's be specific. There's no excuse for, for that movie. And there's no, there's even less excuse for it to be two and a half hours long. I mean, I only watched it once and I refused to watch it again because I'm not given two and a half hours of my life again to watch that. Like it just, it's not going to change any, any mind. It would just give me more fodder for the, for this. I don't need any more fodder. You know what? I agree, man. And I would add underscoring everything you're saying because it does feel like and I will say the first Wonder Woman is if I have to, you know, watch anything from the recent batch of DC, that's the one I would want to watch. Like I didn't super hate it. I didn't love it. I, uh, you know, I wasn't very impressed with it, but there were moments and elements that I really enjoyed in there by and large. Yeah. I didn't like it, but that's not to say, you know, there weren't some redeemable things, I guess. But the problem Definitely. that I have with both that version and this version um, of Wonder Woman is that, it feels in a little bit the same way of my views on Tyler Perry films, the Medea films. It just feels condescending. It's like, hey, here's an underserved audience uh, demographic. Let's keep, you know, let's make something for them, but not really make it, you know, incredible. And it's mm -hmm. one thing if this is the kind of movie you like, I don't really understand why I would need someone to actually a uh, woman explain that to me if this is what you actually like and you can point to other films that are like this that you enjoy i will do my best but i completely agree it feels condescending it feels like you're saying you know what you don't actually want uh meaty well-thought films um you don't want a greta gerwig making your wonder woman which is who i would want yeah. making my wonder woman like definitely maybe i just think greta gerwig could make everything better which i think she can like i don't I think she can i think she can i i worship her and so i would absolutely love to see what she would do with the complexities of wonder woman she would probably take a different approach and and make it you know with more interesting themes and more evolved uh, moments that really serve the story and underline everything she's trying to discuss. I would love to see what she would do with something like that. 
but this does feel like it's talking down to its audience. It feels like it doesn't respect its viewer. And that is at the heart of our frustration with the movie like this. Um, it's one thing to have mindless fun. Um, it's another thing to make sure that none of it pays off. None of it is set up. Uh, and you never, you walk away after two and a half hours of time invested, uh, none the wiser uh, with the world at large and with a clear picture of the message you were trying to send. I just don't, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I, I know I'm mad, you know, and I'm coming across as like very aggressive right now. I'm well aware. Uh, but you know, I, I, a lot of the movies that we do in this podcast, we like, cause yeah. why I don't want to watch movies I don't like, yeah. but I wanted to do this movie. This was my idea to do this movie partially because I wanted to see what they were going to do with the second one, but just, uh, it, but there it, was an early trailer that you were excited about. You're like, man, I think maybe yes. they're doing something fun now. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the second trailer, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, I, I just really want, it, it's interesting. I feel about also about music today, the same way that I feel about movies like this It's just, you're just pumping out content. Hmm. You're just making shit because you either you haven't made it in a while or you need to make it. And and here's a script. Okay, boom. I don't think that Greta Gerwig would have would have taken this gig. Not with that. If script. she had to yeah. make that script, yeah. who? What? I mean, she. Why would she want to be attached to that? No way. And that's the problem. That's the problem. The problem is not is 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 that you don't look, they're, they're not looking at it thinking, okay, no, we got to scrap this and start over. They're thinking like, okay, this is what we need to make. No, don't make garbage. You can't read a script like that and think, oh, this is going to turn out well. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess the last thing, I my last rhetorical question and maybe literal question is, is Diana an Amazonian name? I don't really understand her naming convention because, you know, we have Hippolyta and Antiope uh, and and we have, you know, Asteria and you, Diana. <laughs> like what? Uh, yeah, that's like I think she was named, you know, in part in part with uh, Pr Princess Di, um, Lady Diana, which is fine. I have no problem with that. But I just think it's kind of funny that you have an Amazonian badass uh, and all these other really interesting kind of Greek sounding names. And then suddenly, you know, and you Diana, like, okay, cool. Are there, are there any, yeah. <laughs> any Claire's in there? <laughs> any, any Harriet's? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's an interesting thing for a really ancient civilization. That's interesting. But maybe she has a, an actual Amazonian name that, you know, just isn't introduced in anything that I've come across. I don't know. Anyway. So I don't know. Uh, I think, I mean, I have tons of other notes, but the uh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I don't have notes, but I have things I want to say. If you want to throw them out, man, you're welcome to. Not or really. Just, no, but everybody's like sick of hearing me yell, probably, and curse into the <laughs> microphone now, probably. Yeah. Well, like, I don't even care. I don't even care. In this episode, I try to not say the f bomb and stuff, but I don't even care. Like, it just being real here, you know, it's not. I just, I can I, I'll just say one, one thing. I'm sick of bright movies. Hmm. I'm sick of them. I'm sorry. Sick of them. You know what they remind me of? They remind me of Jason Mraz songs. 
garbage, just like like poppy reggae garbage. Like, yes, he's great, but he just writes the same four chords over and over again. That's what you get when you watch a DC movie. You get the same thing fed you over and over and over again. Nothing ever feels real or raw. It all feels way overproduced, way overcreated, way overthought. And and you can't like get anything like I want to see the grit and the dirt and the and the the nastiness. That's what made makes you know great superhero movies great is the the brokenness. Yeah. Right? She's supposed to be broke. She's supposed to be lonely and sad and depressed. Show me that. I didn't get that at all. I mean, I got that she wasn't like as happy as she could be. Yeah. Dude, like. <laughs> how am I how am I as a viewer supposed to identify with her even if she's you know this Amazonian goddess right how am I sp- y- y- the whole goal is to identify with her still I can identify with Superman when Superman has his powers taken away or when Superman is you know beaten or you know whatever like I can still identify with with someone who I have nothing in common with physically so I could I could identify with her if I see her, you know, I don't know, eating ice cream in her un, in her in her pajamas, you know, like like watching Netflix. I could, but you don't ever see that. You just see her not always smiling. Hmm. It's not enough, you know. I agree, and I feel like Gal Gadot. I don't know. I mean, I assume she's a really good actress. I don't think whatever this film was. I don't know how much to put on her versus how much to put on Patty Jenkins um, and the writing because yeah, the, it just didn't feel like she really had many of those moments to have, you know? No. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's a very good point. And so it's, it is frustrating, especially considering that they had a great lineup uh, with obviously Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, I think is a really great actress. Pedro, She's great. Pedro Pascal is dominating right now. <laughs> Like, yeah, I seek his stuff out, even if it's not a very yeah. good movie. I'll seek out one of his films and just watch it yeah. just to see him do his thing. Yeah. The Mandalorian, a lot of things. And yeah, this uh, I completely agree. There wasn't enough to identify with Diana Prince in this movie. They could have crafted a lot more. Same thing with Barbara Minerva. Uh, it was just a little too hokey and slapstick in order to to really build any true connection with the audience. She was too stoic. Diana Prince was maybe a little too stoic. Uh, those There are moments to have that for sure whenever you're in front of everyone. Uh, but there are, there are moments to, to yeah, collapse and, and to question yourself and question your identity and your path and your choices. Um, and she, whenever she has those moments of questioning, they're very loose and uh, that very strong exterior, which fine, if you want to make that the Amazonian way, uh, you you do need to find other ways to to make us connect with the humanity in her as she's trying to to call out to to Barbara, right? She questions Barbara like, why would you want this? Why? What about you know your warmth and your humanity? And well, what about your warmth and your humanity? Like, I we need that too. It's not just running around saving people um, like the good cop. Like we we need to see you know you. Um, and, and your warmth and those moments. And it just can't be having her in bed next to her love. It it needs to be more. Um, and, and by contrast, I would contrast that with someone like Katniss Everdeen, like 
I just got through watching all of those films. She has great moments of being stoic and the absolute pinnacle of taking charge and kicking ass and doing what she thinks is best, uh, being both being irrational and, you know, brutally logical. And she also has moments where she completely collapses and they pick very specific moments in those films to have each of those things happen. And they're very centered around her character and the way that she interacts with the world. It's brilliant writing. Um, I would say, you know, on the part of the Hunger Games series, uh, the way to present a strong female, you know, hero, um, action hero specifically, that I think contrasts really, really nicely with this version of Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I like that. Thanks. Yeah. Whatever. Um, I can't believe we've managed to go this long talking about. Oh, I, I got more, but we're going to stop. <laughs> okay. I have an opinion on on Maxwell's character, but uh, we can stop. All right. Well, okay, we'll just kick it into what are you going to recommend this week? Uh, all right. Um, other than well, ludes, just, uh, like yeah. <laughs> weight ludes or whatever they're called. <laughs> no. Um I, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend because I rewatched it and then rewatched it again and then again. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm gonna recommend Hamilton. Um, which is streaming on uh, Disney Plus. Uh, it has been since, I don't know, I think April of uh, 2020. And it's, I, I don't have any words for it. And I, you know me, I don't like musicals. I never have been pretty vocal about that. I know you have too. I mean, I get good, I have goosebumps from the moment it starts to the moment it ends. And I cry at least three times in there, if not more. I'm just constantly either crying or have goosebumps the whole time. And I learn something new every single time I watch it. And I've seen it four times now and I can't wait to watch it again. Uh, just is so inspiring. So Hamilton. Very cool. Nice. I'm going to recommend, I see I've already recommended professor Marston and the wonder woman, um, which is kind of based on the creation of the wonder woman comic book. So since I've already recommended that, I'm going to recommend uh, something that, is interesting from the this whole feminist perspective of it it's called teeth if you've never seen teeth it's a oh my god it's a horror film and uh what? i'll give you two words uh vagina dentata <laughs> <laughs> okay if you want you went there if you want to see like a, a very interesting take on womanhood and how men interact you know with with it uh then go watch Teeth. <laughs> it's rated R. Do not let your kids into this one. Do not. <laughs> oh, man. It's absolutely. Do not let any virgins in the theater. Maybe don't even let a guy uh, watch it with you. Like, just watch yeah, it by true. yourself. Yeah, this just is just females. for women. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Nice. So stay tuned. Next week, we're going to release uh, uh, an episode from our Patreon. Todd and I did a, an episode for, for our patrons uh, that was about the audition process. Uh, and so this will be very unique and different um, from anything we've, we've published before uh, mostly. Uh, and so, but it's about mm. the audition process and Todd auditioned for a project that I was casting uh, that I wrote and directed. And he, it was interesting just for us to discuss for the first time, like Todd and I discussed how his performance was, um, how his whole process went um, and what I'm looking for as a as a director. Whenever I'm casting, we kind of walk through that whole thing 
I don't know how long it is. I think it's around 30 minutes. And so it'll sound and be very different from our other ones. Um, and then I think we're going to take a week off. Uh, but when we come back, we are actually going to do Hamilton. And we have some other requests in the in the hopper, if you will, from Izzy's had one that he's had in there for a while. We've had some other ones pop up. Uh, I think someone wanted us to cover Soul, the new Pixar film. Um, so we might mm-hmm. might jump on that um, and some others. And then eventually mm-hmm. we'll, we'll circle back. We have one coming up that's been the second most dreaded film for me to, to tackle because it's one of my favorite films. And I just feel like I'm not going to have anything to add to this movie. And it's the second one. The first one is uh, which I don't think we're ever going to do. Uh, but the first one that I refuse to do uh, out of, I don't know, fear, maybe principle somehow, I don't know, uh, is 2001, A Space Odyssey. Mm. That's just too big. That's I just don't have the, the courage for that one. And, oh, come on. Dude, that's there's nothing, literally nothing that hasn't been said about that movie. So I cannot begin to imagine what we could possibly add to that conversation, which is big. You know, that's what we always look to do is we look to add that's, to the conversation. Yeah. That's why that's why you talk to me. Yeah. Because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I just say words. I just put words together. There's gotta be some other way to combine some words that somebody hasn't said Maybe. about two thousand. I feel like it's all been said. The third one we've already done. We I didn't think we'd ever do Shawshank Redemption, but we did. Uh, and I was pretty happy with how that went. So that's my timer going off. Um, the, my light's dimming. <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube. <laughs> it's saying this is too long of an <laughs> yeah, episode. My, my light's uh, protesting. And so, yeah, stay tuned. For next week, we'll do an audition episode uh, released from Patreon. And uh, don't forget, subscribe, review us on iTunes. Uh, leave us a note if you want us to talk about a thing. And uh, you can leave a comment on this episode at thepestlepodcast.com slash Wonder Woman 1984. It looks like you're like partying. Yeah. You're like... What is going on over there? That's, oh, give me 15 seconds. Yeah. I'm not editing that. So, who? well, not from the, the video. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> Freaking my, I have a, a an umbrella uh, set up, a uh, light. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it <laughs> turns off after. Yeah, okay. Indeed. I gotcha. It's funny. It was like, okay. felt like I was on air and like the, the stage hand was like tapping his watch. Wrap it up, guys. Wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. My producer's yelling at me in the background. (laughs) Yeah, like, come on. Uh, We'll do it live. All right. (laughs) Our quote of the day uh, is from Charles Dickens. No one is useless in this world who lightens the burdens of another. Why'd you pick that? For a lot of reasons. Um, This struck me from a storytelling aspect of... Wonder Woman, I think, feeling probably pretty bad about having to leave behind, you know, love in her life. And that serves a purpose. And, you know, I would hope anybody out there who's, you know, in a similar situation where you're like, man, I'm sacrificing so much to give so much. Yeah, it's, that, that's OK. It's not useless. But also from the aspect of I know we just spent like over an hour beating the tar out of this movie but i don't think it's entirely useless because i do think you know there's a lot of people who probably enjoy this movie who loved it um and i'm sure it lightened their burden in this era like to be in the middle of december and to finally be able to turn on him even if i'm not crazy about the way it was released being released on hbo i think there's millions of people who probably loved 
being able to hit play on something new that had a big budget that they were excited about. Um, they got to spend time in this fun world, you know, with, with superpowers and someone who saw a world that was in the in chaos and destruction and and fixed it, solved it, and you know, and challenged everybody to 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 do better. And so I was like, you know what? Even if I really really hated this movie it doesn't mean it's useless it doesn't mean it didn't serve a purpose it doesn't mean you know there weren't a lot of people who appreciated it and who found something in it that made their day better well said man that's awesome i got nothing to add that's that's great i mean it's an amazing quote by an amazing writer and yeah i got nothing to add very cool well done thanks man well, thank you guys for joining us. We really appreciate it. Always do uh, appreciate you guys listening, especially when it's long like this and I'm cursing all over the place. Uh, <laughs> so, so thank you for staying with us. And uh, like Wes said, please subscribe and review and tell us what you want us to review. We're, we're more than happy to jump on the bandwagon and, and uh, tell you what we think about anything whether that's a thing or a movie or whatever. Uh, and please uh, review, like I said, and share us with your friends. All of that stuff helps. Uh, and until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies. Mm-hmm.